we have a saying in Finnish, do work that has a meaning. In It's actually like in German, the word for job and for like your calling, it comes from the same word. So it's like beruf and then like your calling is berufung. So in my head, it's always been like, of course, your job, your profession should be something that is your calling because that's how it works and I'm so like I'm still very much trying to figure out what is my calling I feel like if you're in medicine it's much easier because I feel like there the calling is much more evident I guess and there are some professions in which I feel like having a calling is much more easy to find and to pursue but I guess for me right now I'm still trying to figure out where's mine So Stella, you said so you're you work in a think tank at the moment. And I remember like let's see, for me it would have been I actually checked this before because I was Ooh. like, I wanna like check where we actually all met. So I think we met in Rise in twenty sixteen. And um, I met Joel in in Greece, uh in Trace Trat. I have no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> I've always pronounced it Trace. I could be wrong. The last time I tried to pronounce something to a Greek person, I got schooled. Yeah. <laughs> I already my head's up I don't think I'm pronouncing anything right but yeah no it's been a while it feels like a whole different life yeah that's true and I think probably about a year or so before we met then in Rice I was also kind of getting into the think tank life kind of thing um like well it was more like throughout my uni days um because I was studying politics at King's in London and we had this thing called King's Think Tank and there was a student-led policy institute and we grew it to become the largest policy-led no, sorry student-led policy institute uh in europe and we started doing lots of bits and i started to kind of really focus more on like education policy so doing lots of work in that and then um classic you know as an eyp does i started then to preside to the think tank and then start to build it up and collaborate with other think tanks but then for, the reason why i stepped into that is because i was like well politics i hate that shit because politics itself is just about power and influencing people and trying to preserve your seat of power or to somehow climb up and just constantly appeasing people around you and being two-faced so i thought oh let's go into policy writing Let's do more of a policy institute think tank kind of work. Let's do this. But then by that time, it kind of be, it was more like, hmm, we got people writing papers on this. So maybe if we get this minister into our conversations, or maybe if we get I know, somebody from Chatham House into this chat with this person, so we can use their contacts for this and this. And it just became playing politics with other politicians or policy institutes institutions in order for our policy proposals to be in the right hands and it became way less about actual any evidence-based policy so then for me i started to get a little bit tainted from the think tank kind of life and started to see it more and more as politics in itself but like what's what's your experience been through that I think it really depends on the country too. I also work for a think tank in Germany, just on the side in the remaining two hours of the day, I guess. But I think it's really, the experience is really different because in Germany, the think tank I work for, it's associated with the university. So they get all the university like resources and stuff like that. And they have independent funding, so they don't work project-based. So they can kind of just 
have the freedom to do whatever they're actually interested in in terms of research while here at the think tank it's project based so like you do have to kind of look okay so are we writing on tank storage of edible oils or are we writing on the future of ai and the impact on the netherlands (laughs) um two things i was looking at today (laughs) so it's very like sometimes it's things that you're very interested in and sometimes it's things that you learn a lot about yeah the world revolves around money that's true for think tanks (laughs) it's true for uap yeah literally in in some of our podcasts before we're talking about um issues with sponsorship at times where you know you get a sponsor and we have a bit of that tradition of sponsors can help influence your topics or help write something or even if they don't put their front forward and say something if you have a certain sponsor you're not going to have a topic that's going to be in conflict with that sponsor because you want to avoid awkward conversations (laughs) <laughs> I do remember, I mean, to be very fair, I think my last session that I have, that I did something of interest uh, was a regional session in Sweden in 2019. So it's really been a while, um, but they did have a, a, a sponsor for, what's it called? I'm losing my English. Not money, not financial sponsoring, but things like uh, m- material. material sponsoring, yeah, yeah so- stuff like that. And they had a lady come in and it was actually pretty cool because she gave like an expert talk for one of the committees and we we had to develop a topic that would kind of suit also what the company was doing, something with renewable paper in packaging. I, it's been so long, I don't remember exactly, <laughs> but something in that regards. And it was actually quite cool. Like She was very, very impressed for like the work that all the students were doing. And I remember it being quite a positive experience because when I had a chat with her afterwards, she was also like, oh yeah, that was very impressive what everyone was so aware of at the age of 15, 16 on a topic like this. But yeah, so I think it can go well, but I can also see how like, especially with financial funding, it can be really, really stressful. All those Erasmus Plus funding applications, I think if you've been on the organizational side of a session, I think that can be quite stressful. Maybe that's the reason why we see so little like anti-capitalism topics and conversations within EYP, because we're just, we're sponsored by the banks. (laughs) I like I really I I checked again on my session website because I was like this has been quite a while and really like I did a session early 2020 but I think my most active year was 2016 which is like that's so long ago and I remember the last session I did I was so confronted with so many new things I was like wow it's changed so much since like I was very engaged in it from the new like session like what was it like general assembly guidelines of how you write a resolution there was a new thing floating around this the entire like safe person concept that i was like completely new to and uh, a lot of things actually and i was like this is like i see a lot of like positive change it's really cool but i was like really overwhelmed because it was very different from (laughs) how i remembered it That's true. And that that is definitely a, re- a recurring theme in like so many of our conversations is whenever we start to reminisce about like the good old days or start to kind of more frown upon the good old days in quotation marks, <laughs> I kind of realize what the hell we were doing and yeah, seeing lots of things changing. And what one of the things that normally comes to our mind a lot is when we start to, let's say, exit out of UIP and move into other professions, we start to have a new perspective to look back on UIP. So like myself, I 
Uh, I'm a full-time trainer and so I look back into training in UIP and I can have a different perspective and like I have a really positive one of looking at actually the shit that we do is much better than corporate trainings way better than corporate training stuff and I now live in the corporate training world but then sometimes it can be a negative light so for you having like stepped into more of the think tank world when you look back at UIP do you see some positives do you see some negatives or on that kind of academic front what what different perspective can you see it's really difficult because i feel like my uni days and my eyp days kind of blend in together so sometimes i'm not really sure was this something i specifically took from eyp or from university but generally like especially in the think tank world it's hardly ever like i mean okay yes there's a lot of old white men of course but generally it's very like mixed people like it's not all people from one country and stuff like that so you definitely get this aspect of like uh, international teamwork which i think that's really something that eyp gives you um a lot of and how to deal with that and everything so i'm very grateful for that experience especially now transitioning into kind of more of a work life i guess yeah that i think a lot of structure as well i think it really may like especially like working in eyp tells you like how to structure yourself, organize yourself, all those like buzzwords, time management, energy management, how do I communicate like what my needs are, how do I communicate my deadlines and everything like that. I think that's something that definitely being active in EYP reinforced in a positive manner. And then what about any of the methods that we use in order to think about topics like we do lots of brainstorming, grouping, selection, and we kind of go through very specific ways of trying to think laterally to come up with certain ideas and to investigate things Uh, have you found any overlaps with that within the kind of policy institute world i'm quite young to it i'm quite new to like the work life in a way because i'm also still finishing my master's degree so i I think it, it kind of depends because again i feel like this flexibility i've seen a bit more in the german think tank that i work for less so for the dutch think tank because it's just a lot more project oriented and it's usually quite clear okay what is supposed to like come out of it how are we supposed to go on about this project and all so kind of in a way i guess but also like I'm waiting for like my first full-time like proper paid job and uh, see how much freedom I'll get to choose my own topics and like see okay what methods that I learned from UIP can I actually use here. I think I I think the one thing that I personally I think took the most from UIP is like this entire feedbacking culture because I thought that was quite, quite useful in a way of like, also, okay, how to improve myself, how to improve how I communicate with others. A lot of really, really interesting aspects, I think, that come from that. And also, how do I communicate to others if something bothers me in a way, I guess. And I think that there were a lot of things that can also be like attributed into work life or used in a work environment as well. Yeah. I think that's quite an interesting question of how, how have you guys found yourself adapting the kind of EYP feedback debrief culture into your like social circles because the whole if you go full on EYP on your friends that's gonna be too intense that's not how normal people work it's the word debriefing is for me so connotated with EYP that whenever I hear it I'm like okay everyone close their eyes put their hand out in a circle from one to five show how comfortable we're that's like so so that's what's so associated in my brain with the word debriefing that at one point um one of my court colleagues she was like oh yeah we like 
didn't know how this one event went for you. Let's debrief it. And I was like, okay, close my eyes, put my hand out. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> how did they then actually approach it? <laughs> no, they were just like, no, we just want to talk about like, did you enjoy it? And I was like, oh yeah, no, it was fun. And I was like, oh, that's it already. I thought we we're going to like debrief in depth about what happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I only kind of really noticed that towards the end of my time in UIP about how how intense we are about debriefings not in a negative way but how thorough we are in a really positive way like within the like looking in training looking in coaching especially when it comes to experiential learning um people really really struggle out in the learning world to understand how to debrief things properly and like the structures and stuff that we use are like really really advanced stuff like the stuff that you see in UIP you only kind of really see in very very select circles within within the like the, the learning field and stuff all these different techniques that that we have in order to get certain things out of people and we structure their thoughts you know for f's and different things like this and yeah it's only really after my time in uip that i start to look at that and realize we are really really good with that stuff and like you just said you know somebody else trying to use the same word of saying you know let's debrief they literally mean <laughs> How was it for you? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And you just have a, like a quick chat and that's not really a debrief at all. It hasn't really <laughs> helped you go back over the the facts of what happened to then understand, did that trigger any any feelings? And did you find something within your team? And then based on that, what are you going to be taking out to your life afterwards? It doesn't do it whatsoever. Yeah, that's quite true. Uh, yeah, I spent a hot second in the very corporate world. And I also, I was quite surprised how many like things I remembered from EYP I saw reflected in the corporate world as well, like in terms of like, how do they distribute like workloads? How do they do their team meetings? I was like, wow, I know this from somewhere. This is so interesting. And like the feedback culture as well. Although, as you already mentioned, I think it was only like very superficial, like it wasn't as in-depth and as like, I think well developed as I think I've gotten to know from EYP. Then again, the question is like, how much of like those kind of feedback structures would you also need in a like work environment as well? But for the both of you, like, do you, do you feel like there's been something like from EYP where you see, okay, this is like very interesting how this reflects in a work life in a work environment, or something you wish you'd see more? Maybe <laughs> phrase it. I mean, <laughs> phrase so it much. like that. Maybe so much. So much. I don't know that's that, that, that's a really difficult one because I, I guess for, for me a, a lot of my mind kind of goes straight to training because that's what I do in my life for years now I've just been a full-time trainer and within UIP there are some really really cool things that we do we're really innovative we're not afraid to try out new things we we do lots of exper experiential based learning so you give somebody an experience you debrief that experience and then you give them an opportunity to be able to use the new things that they've learned in order to try new things out. And we do that a lot throughout a lot of our training practice, whether we realize that we're doing trainings or not. Uh, we do that a lot, a lot. And that isn't really done in the corporate world that much. And it's only very, very, very specific select circles that they can do things like that. But then on the other hand, within the corporate world, but also other NGO worlds, so I'm starting to interact with more NGOs they tend to have much better knowledge transfer when it comes to trainings. Like in UIP, if you think about any training that you want to deliver, there's no handbook, there's no guide, there's nothing that people have seriously put time in together in order to help trainers deliver certain material. Instead, you just try to remember what was delivered to you before 
and you try to deliver something similar to other people. And a lot of times it's like the night before the training is going to be delivered, the VPs and president would basically just sit down and have a chat and be like, okay, what should we do? Well, I guess, yeah, we should probably do fire. Yeah, we should probably do that. What about this? Yeah, you know, um, we can do, oh, you know, there's that cool module about uh, defining a good and a bad chairperson. We can draw those pictures and put posters. Yeah, we can do something like that. And you start to like create your trainings like this, which is like, no, that is not how trainings should be designed. So there's a whole design part of trainings that UIP does not do. But what we do well is we do experiential learning and then we're not afraid to test things out. I think one of the big parts that lead lead to that and lead to so many other things about EYP being a very yeah, an organization where you develop a lot is this kind of lack of this power structure compared to your professional life like in EYP if you fuck up you fuck up <clears throat> like that that that's it and like the worst thing that they can do to you is you know blacklist you from international sessions Ooh. but and if you fuck up in your work that's life also barely... like but doesn't like doesn't that, sorry for interrupting, but doesn't that like go against the idea that anyone can learn and improve? Because like, I thought at some point, especially when you mentioned like, oh, what's a good, bad chairperson, my instant reaction was like, there's none because there's just people and their behavior and anything that maybe you messed up one point if someone explains to you, okay, why and how and how to improve. Uh, there's a like point of development for anyone and that's what UIP is about, no? Personal development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as far as I know, this kind of blacklisting from things is mostly, well, ANSYS can do that, and I've heard of ANSYS doing that to to members, but at the, at the NIS level, it's mostly about policy breaches if there's something really serious. I was just thinking about the worst case scenario. In your working life, there's someone who can cut your livelihood by the snap of their fingers. And I, I feel like that's a big part of why in EYP, we can just so carefreely yeah. try and experiment with things. Like if we break a few eggs on the way there, you know, we learn from that. But if we <clears throat> break a few eggs on like on the way on our professional journey you know like i might have accident i might accidentally you know remove life insurance from half of finnish people and that's not exactly <laughs> <laughs> the same kind of weight on that that's true so i, I guess on, on the one hand you can kind of see it as the impact that you're gonna have in an uip session if it's a negative impact it's gonna be minimal negative impact to the people that are there present etc whereas yeah in your day-to-day -day, like working world it is possible to have a way bigger <laughs> negative impact but, but i guess you can also think of it of let's say you think of interpersonal relationships you go to a session and let's say you are a media team member and you question your editor now that editor may be really op open to that be like you know thank you so much for questioning that now i want to work with you on the process of thinking is this actually the best thing this is what i've stuck to for so many years but you know what let's try something you could have an editor really open or we all know <laughs> those kind of editors that could be very close and say like why is this person trying to question me uh, and like take it as an attack on their ego and in that case you're gonna you you within the session are not gonna have too much of a great time everything that you do is probably going to be questioned anything that you want to do is probably going to be turned down etc and for the next three four days you're probably going to have a shit time during that session and in eyp i guess 
that's okay-ish because it's only during that session. You go to your next session and suddenly you have a new load of people. In your work life, if you stay in your company, well, like, I guess over here, the average is about two to three years that you stay with your company in your role. If you stay in your company in your role for like two to three years and you question your boss, well, that's another two to three years (laughs) that you've got to live with them. Like that, like the, the impacts on those interpersonal relationships, when things go sour, you kind of have to maintain them. So I guess in the workplace, maybe we are also more risk averse and we don't want to try out things or piss people off or be honest. That makes a lot of sense. I I haven't worked any place for that long that I feel like I might have not been risk averse enough or I don't know, have had that very much in the back of my mind because my professional life has been a series of uh, either more or less unpaid internships but uh, <laughs> that's life I suppose but yeah I, I would be quite interesting it would be very interesting to see like once you're stuck or like once you're really like are somewhere for a set amount of time and there's maybe someone you don't get along with how do you improve a relationship out of that how do you tackle that because I think it's also like it's very like a person thing whether they're open to something like that and I feel like maybe that's another like very important aspect EYP like also teaches you in a way like be open take second chances like give people a second chance a third chance even and because it's all about learning and growing and hopefully learning and growing together and from each other in the end because there's always something you can learn from someone that's true and sorry to kind of like pivot this a bit but like you just mentioned about unpaid internships and that just kind of like pulled out a little a little trigger <laughs> so when i was so but when i was back in like the think tank world um one of the events we held we were kind of sneaky about it so we 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 had some good connections to the lord mayor of london and we could like actually hold an event in her mansion in the the mansion house which is like it's kind of like the i know the the government house of the lord mayor yeah the, the london's complex you've got london you've got city of london the city of london is its own thing and it has its own lord mayor the little city of london inside london it's a weird thing but anyway we we, we held this event inside there and we're like you know what let's let's do something about this and we, we decided to put on an event about about unpaid internships and a discussion where we kind of we had a really really cool panel we had the ceo of one of the largest internship companies in the uk and most of their internships so they 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 work with companies to then find students who want to kind of do internships and stuff like this and most of their internships are unpaid and then we also kind of had a the head of a of a of a huge lobby who's lobbying for but against this kind of thing against any kind of unpaid internships and we had a couple of other people there on the panel and it was an incredible and really heated discussion because for example in the UK when it comes to unpaid internships they are elite but they happen everywhere half legally so the idea is that you're not allowed to have an unpaid internship if you're actually doing work if it's an internship, you should be getting work experience by shadowing something, someone, or you should be, it should be that kind of approach to it. If you're actually doing the work of someone, then you should be paid for it. Because if you open the door to say people can do these kind of things and be unpaid, then it favors only a certain type of person who can actually 
afford to do an unpaid internship, whereas other people who wouldn't be able to afford to do work without receiving money for the work, then they would be excluded from those kind of roles. So what has your, and I'm kind of interested to see like how that also works in other countries and stuff. So like, how has your experience of that unpaid internship been? And what have you seen through that? Okay, I have to um, give some credit to my current employer. It's not completely unpaid, but it's remunerated. So it covers my rent, which is a good start, which is, I think, in this sector, the best that you can hope for. I've had a lot of experiences, mainly with the fact that you do need otherwise financial support. Otherwise, it's really impossible to do these kind of internships. In Germany, they also have a very similar loophole because a lot of like bachelor degrees in political sciences, for example, they require you to do an internship. So it's like compulsory. And those compulsory internships, they don't need to be paid. So Uh, a lot of companies find the loophole and say, okay, sure, you can do an internship with us, but we can't pay you. And otherwise, a lot of them are like remunerated with like 450 euros. I think that's the standard in Germany that you get if you get like a remuneration kind of thing. I think it's really tricky, especially like in this sector, like which is like um, NGOs, international organizations, think tanks as well, because I think in most cases they are chronically underfunded. And then it's like really difficult to also find paid work in the sector and I think the competition is quite huge like quite large and so in my master's degree we're all now in our last semester and we're just writing our dissertation but a lot of us also wanted to find work on the side and do an internship gain some work experience see okay is this actually something is this feel something that I'm interested in and everyone in my cohort we're like around 90 people it's one of those uh, very fancy sounding Erasmus Mundus programs so we all studied abroad like Every semester was in a different location, but everyone already did an undergrad and spent time abroad. Everyone speaks at least two, three languages fluently. It's everyone's done already like their two, three unpaid internships. And it was still so difficult for like most of us to find even anything, anything that was unpaid. And usually the requirements are also so like unrealistic. Like, okay, I'm sorry, I don't speak Arabic fluently or know how to do Python or whatever (laughs) it's uh it's been a really tough journey and it's so frustrating also because it's not like that you don't know how to do the work like in most cases especially like if it's work in research okay google a little bit and use an online library to find information and you've written essays you know how to structure work you know how to structure information this is like nothing new like you can do that and it's not like if it's if you if people would actually spend a lot of time on you and like training you and like teaching you how to use a lot of things okay sure I I think I would kind of understand it but if you're already like a very independent worker which is again things that I think EYP teaches you to the max to work independently to work in teams and everything then I really feel like it's so unfair and so so frustrating there's a lot of like I don't First of all, I don't think there's a lot of opportunities in the end, like especially in this field. Like if you'd want to go into consulting, like, yeah, easy. But um, I think if you're very passionate about like what you studied also, I think it's a bit more tricky to find ground in the end. That's not to say that consulting can also not be a passion, but yeah. Yeah, I find it kind of funny that you bring up this question, Nathan, because in the end, what is EYP about the series of unpaid internships? <laughs> the work that you do, oh you God. actually 
I've never thought about it like that, but you're true. You're right. You're very, very right. It is actually um, pretty much that. But you get paid an experience and in long, uh, what's it called? Long lasting friendships? Lifelong uh-huh. friendships? I, I, I really that. think like the older I get, the more like random thoughts I have about like how, what a positive impact EYP did have on me like now moving to like a new place and everything there's always an EYP that you know somewhere and it makes you feel less alone it really does and you're always like okay it's actually like quite cool yeah I didn't really realize it before before recently when I was in a situation where I really needed some friends to support me and at that point I could kind of realized that I have such a long list of people that would be happy if I called them fucking everywhere. And, you know, co- comparing that to the experience of my friends that they, they've spent all of their lives in the same country traveling every now and then, but very more limited thing. That's true. I think we're, we're going to have to write that somewhere. Uh, EYP, a series of unpaid internships. <laughs> so true. Oh my God. <laughs> Could be a good, uh, maybe a good, merch idea <laughs> yes yes okay yes we need to start doing tales from session merch and like that needs to be one of the points on on, on the t-shirt yes t-shirt a tote uh, bag and on a mug <laughs> all three and it, it is like when i think about it um and everyone had their different experience depending on like the, what they had to do in their childhood and stuff but for me there were times where i wanted to go to sessions but I couldn't because I had to work because I'll be working like we had a family run business. And if I took time to go off to go to a session, then that takes time away from me contributing to the family run business. And that means we have to hire someone else. And so that's actually a cost and we can't afford to hire someone else. So it's like, well, like the, the, the IS in Grenoble, I really wanted to go to that one uh, as a delegate and I couldn't go because of that and i guess that that happens to a lot of people so that there's nathan also being an unpaid intern for his own family business <laughs> yes <laughs> okay my life should be called the unpaid internship <laughs> yeah i'd say let's see i went through probably about 13 years of work before i started to get paid from like wow. 12 to 25 interns no, 12 to 24 12 years and then I started to get paid, so I was okay. <laughs> I just thought about it because you mentioned that you now work as a trainer. Would you say that you found your passion for a job through doing EYP? 100%, yeah. That's very lucky too. I, I had I had kind of a funny journey because um, I wanted to become an astrophysicist. I was adamant and I love anything to do with physics and maths and stuff. I just, I just geek out so much on YouTube, just trying to find the weirdest shit ever and go through like the deepest explanations of stuff. I just love that stuff. And I I was like, I knew what track I was going to do. I knew everything I had to do to get my PhD in physics to then become an astrophysicist. And I had everything lined up and then EYP happened. And when EYP happened, I was like, actually, maybe this politics thing is kind of fun. You know what? I'm going to become a politician. Let's do this. Because I was like, I started to develop the ability to debate, to to refine arguments and to communicate in certain ways. So I thought, okay, two, there's two kind of cool jobs for that. One is being a lawyer and one is being a politician. And I was like, mm, you know what? Let's go for, for politics side. So I studied politics and then I realized I hate politics. I hate the idea of power and the constant defending of your position of power and stuff so i thought oh policy writing 
and then went into that and I realized that that just became politics as well and so I thought okay I need to ask this but what did I like in all of that stuff well in UIP in the think tank as well I was always in the leadership positions I was like oh maybe let's do leadership stuff so I applied for a leadership role with Apple and then I did a couple of years of that and realized that was just politics as well okay this I don't like either but what I did like in all of those experiences was developing my team members so I thought, oh, this training thing, I wonder if that's a paid job. And I did a random LinkedIn search and I was like, oh my God, they actually pay people to train people. It's like, yeah, let's, let's apply for one of these. And I applied to the first one I saw and I got the job and I became a full-time trainer. And that that's was like so four cool. years ago. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. What a journey. Yeah, but th- that, that was definitely sparked from the EYP side. And I feel a lot of, let's say, my success within, within training and within craft and learning journeys definitely comes from UIP in the culture we have around training not necessarily our ability to actually design learning but the culture that we have around it I'm, well, I'm feeling yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at you for the same thing I'm like huh so your love for databases Joel <laughs> how did UIP spark this in you <laughs> oh, I, I wish no no I, I was uh, I was feeling cheeky like, okay so far I've compared Nathan's life to unpaid internships and you know now it's time to take this away from you isn't the eyp just politics it is it is actually a lot <laughs> that's true i mean it, if, if yeah if you think about okay if you would need to succeed let's say succeed in eyp however you want to define that if you want to define it more in terms of being within top leadership roles in more and more sessions or in longer events or stuff like this then definitely it is all about making impressions connecting with the right people knowing the people who are going to be on the selection panel for different things as soon as you know people on the selection panel that just drastically changes your chances of getting into certain roles and stuff like this it is constantly playing people politics that is true <laughs> yeah it would be interesting to have to do some research i've because i've really noticed this in sense of who gets invited to be in the leadership of the session, of sessions in general. I would be willing to argue that more than half of those people have been in ANSI boards and met other ANSI board members through that, and that's why they're getting invited. But I think that changed a bit, or like... Because I very vaguely remember back when I started EYP, leadership was always getting invited. It wasn't, there weren't calls for leadership. And that changed like right around when I got super active or like did a lot of sessions because they started doing calls for presidents. Because before that, a lot of NCs would have guidelines. Okay, getting invited based on like, okay, did they chair an IS, different requirements and such, or I don't know, VP and IF, whatever crazy requirements were going around back in the day. And now it's always, I always see a lot of calls that, are open to any kind of position really so i do think there's been a lot of change as well although i have to say like having been on selection panels myself it usually probably doesn't hurt your case if you know one person on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wouldn't even call it those... a guaranteed thing but i don't think it hurts 
Uh, and even if those calls are open to anyone, it doesn't mean that they're not going to select someone they met at the BNC. But That's I true. do, like, I kind of, I understand the thought process. I think I myself was probably mad at a lot of selection outcomes. I mean, 100% I was. <laughs> but I can kind of see, like, you know, you only have a short amount of time in most cases, but you have to work with the people for, like, up until the session. So you need people to trust, like, especially, like, in a leadership role, like, as a president, for example, but even as an editor or head of jury when you work a lot with the NC as well. There's a lot of work uh, that needs to be done. And I think, like, if there is someone that you've worked with before and you trust they do the work well, I do think I can understand how it would be one less stress factor for yourself so i can kind of see where it comes from because it's kind of like a safe bet in a way but i can still see how it's it can be viewed as unfair and everything so i i'm definitely very guilty of that as well that's true and um a, a lot of a lot of these requirements and stuff you were talking about before that were for the role of president kind of comes from the legacy system it may have been yeah it was I think it changed in like 2013, 2014, where beforehand the only people that could write recommendations to be an official at an IS was somebody who had chaired an IS. And so, so I remember like, I, I think I chaired my first in 2013. And then straight after that, then I got a ton of people like asking, oh, do you want to preside this one? Do you want to preside that one? Do you want to preside this? Because I could write recommendations for their team. Whereas, let's say, somebody who could, let's say, preside that session way better than me, but didn't have the power to write recommendations, they wouldn't be invited. And yeah, you're right. It used to always be invitation, invitation based. And I still think, I, I, I guess I don't really know. I need to find out if these days, if it's still invitation based for the majority or if it's if it's just a minority that are coming out with calls or whether it's becoming the standard thing to bring out calls for president and editor i would say that well with editors it's always been more common to have calls but with presidents i would say that currently it's about a quarter of our sessions have open calls for president which is I still think, not a lot i mean i think it's a pretty cool opportunity because then a lot of people that might be qualified as well can get the chance for it as well so I, I definitely think like that's a pretty cool thing that they opened that up as calls opening up more unpaid internship opportunities across the board that <laughs> <laughs> you need oh. to politics your way into a uh, place a first that moment. they would select you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everything that nathan hates yes literally literally but i think all in all like, I, I definitely remember being really mad about a lot of situations that, like, now I don't even remember, but I know I spend a lot of energy on probably being mad about things. But in the end, I think it's all, like, I guess helped me now care a lot less about things that are very trivial, made me be like, okay, I mean, there's things I can change, there, there's things I cannot, a lot more, like, I think, I think it helped me calm down a bit which I think if you know me now, I think I'm still a bit like exhausting to be around sometimes. But I definitely like then I guess I can promise I was way worse uh, five years ago. But I definitely like I think made me be like, okay, what can I change about this? What can I not change about this? What's my status quo? And how can I how can I make do with it and not complain? Okay, someone fucked up. How like, how do we go from there? Because I like there's been a lot of weird things like that happen. I remember 
I think for a session I presided years ago, for some reason, they forgot to get the actual funds. So like they didn't have the money to pay for at the session, because apparently with that NC, you would get money from the NC to pay for the hostel for what everything and apparently like just administrative mistake that happened and they had literally zero money at the session and it was like, okay that sucks a lot but let's see maybe we can like pay for the officials can all pay for the night at the hostel first on their own it's not that much money it's like 20 euros so keep the receipt we'll pay for that and i'll pay for dinner for the first night we'll cook something so it will not be an exorbitant fee but i'll cover like food for the first night and then like let's try and have cash by tomorrow and that worked out fine in the end <laughs> yeah that's we true. made and like I... five kilos of pasta <laughs> beautiful yeah yeah it, it is true it's something that we, we've actually been chatting with joel recently on, on the past couple of episodes about this resourcefulness and the ability to make quick decisions and just to kind of get on with things and then to get the best out of certain moments and certain things and that is one of these life skills that EYP definitely does create because we get put through so much shit, so much shit all the time. And then we still have to make our way through it. We do have tight deadlines of stuff. And it's like we said earlier, you know, in three, four days time, you're going to be back home anyway. So just get on with it. Try something new if it fails. And everyone looks at you being like, why the, why the hell did you do that? Well, they're not going to see you in three, four days time. And next session you go to, no one from that session is going to be there, probably. It's okay. Do you guys have a memory of the time you did EYP before you learned that lesson? Like, what What was the kind of... Do you remember anything where you later on in your career would have just shrugged it off and not cared, but because you were so early in your career that you acted in or did something about it that w wouldn't have been uh, the best approach? When you say career, do you mean EYP stuff EYP, or yeah. what? Oh, the, okay. Policy internship. <laughs> For me, it would be, uh, I think the first time I HO'd, well, first and only time someone ever let me HO a session was in uh, 2011 uh, French Nationals. Yeah, I, I was so adamant that everything had to get done and I was so not trusting of everyone to get things done that people would be like, where's Nathan? He's like, he's running doing the transfers now. It's like, he's meant to be hate showing this stuff. Like, where is he? He's meant to be organizing, giving structures, helping people, supporting. But instead, I was just running around like a headless chicken because I, in my mind, it was like, this needs to happen this person's not really doing it at the speed that I need them to do it. I'm just going to go in and do it. I'm just going to get it done. And I would not even look at micro, even as bad as micromanaging everyone. I would just like skip that step altogether and just jump in and do all the work myself. And there was someone there, uh, Laura Loitong. She was awesome. She, uh, she came to the ses session as like the uh, managing director of EYP France and she put me into a room and she said, you're not allowed to leave this room for the next four hours. Orgas are going to come to you. They're going to ask you different things and they're going to walk out of the room and they're going to do stuff. And this is now your kind of orchestration room where you command things from. And then I had to then stick into this little room and then start to kind of realize that I need to trust people and that things are going to be okay and actually look at them afterwards and just accept those things. That was a, a bit of a big lesson learned. I, I can 100% agree. I think I am very like micromanagerial in a way. I think definitely when I started out presiding as well. And I think if you have 
I think especially in a case when I would have two VPs where none of them had done board work, I would be really panicky and it'd be very micromanageable. Okay, like this is how it needs to be done and not like, okay, just let them be like, it will work out fine. We'll make mistakes. We'll fix it after. I think that's like exactly this kind of mentality, something that just comes over time a bit more laissez-faire and it is what it is I guess in the end um but yeah no I definitely remember being very like controlling as well I think I I think I was also like as a president towards like organizational stuff I was always very like okay but I need to know where we are when I need to like know how we're getting there I need to know a lot of things and less be a bit like more trusting of the process but I think it's also a question of like, how do you deliver it if you're being very like up in everyone's faces and asking about things or whether like, okay, we meet in the evening, uh, we discuss it and then we see how it is tomorrow. But all things that you learn with your time. That's true. Do you remember what kind of things you would be kind of pushing on your VPs? That's really six years ago or something like that um right when i started but i think i would always be very like okay did you all check the for the topic overviews i was like did you do the did you check the topic overviews yet like how did you check them what did you check them for a very like like i mean it's the second person that's gonna proofread something like they're gonna like help fix it in some way anyways should have just been way more chill about that yeah for me, one of the, the, the big thing that I remember that kind of showed me that I, I was overreacting to things was, yeah, it was the first time I was vice presiding anything in a session in Slovenia that they, they did not like me for a really long time after. I remember being really unnecessarily harsh with the organizers just because I would be so stressed about things going in a direction that would in some way hurt the participants or make the session experience worse for someone it's not it's not my place as the kind of uh, as, as a vice president in that session to kind of tell the organizers how to do their job it's like sure you can give them constructive feedback but it was just uh, I, I, that's something i'm really not proud of and yeah that also did kind of c- c- cause backslash in that uh, i was not welcome in that part of europe for a while did, did I, you try did they did they refuse i <laughs> think so yeah if i remember correctly we live and we learn but like that i think ties in like really well and what we talked about earlier about like feedback culture as well because i think like that's the one thing that i took with from trace because uh like the feedback system that i learned from there i thought was like really really valuable in a way because it was very horizontal especially like within like the board that we had there because it was about like positive reinforcement like first you as an individual would say okay these are like things i'm very like proud of how I managed them and then everyone else would also like have the space to add something okay me personally I noticed this and I thought this was really good or I'd like to take that for myself and then we'd also talk about okay for next time these are like three things that I would like to improve and then like the other people also have the space to say okay maybe I saw something where I was like I'm a bit unsure what's happening like or whatever and to also give you feedback where they thought okay can improve as well and I I thought that was really really valuable because I think that's something that I later on took on to a lot of other sessions that I did board work in because I was like, right, this is actually, I think, quite empowering because you give other people also the space to say, okay, I think this is a place you can improve, but also like to say something very positive, okay? And it's not just always about, okay, okay. I know this ABC, you all su- you sucked in these three scenarios and you really need to like fix that, but like much more like, okay, 
it's all a learning process and we can take some feedback from anyone whether you take the feedback and you actually accept it and implement <laughs> it is of course a whole other debate but uh it's already good that there's a space that a space for that yeah and i think that's something we can also kind of try and work with even after the session no no one from the from the slovenian ANSI or the organizing team came to talk to me about it afterwards like it's something i figured out by myself afterwards like oh that was really not cool we should maybe try and talk to the people more that we don't like and talk about the things that we thought that they fucked up and i would really appreciate the kind of a feedback on like i think you fucked this up it's like huh yeah yeah because i i feel like uh maybe that kind of structure lacks sometimes in sessions because there's not a lot of people that can like do that for you because not a lot of people see you work like for example if you're a chair like the only person that can give you feedback is probably the board but like they only see you what 10 minutes once every three hours so that's not really a lot that you can base it off on and it goes for a lot of roles like there's not a lot of like people I guess that can see something so I think the more you open up the space to give feedback and also to receive feedback the more I think that's you can true. learn and take uh, I remember when I um well. when I joined Apple I was on this like leadership program and one of my bosses at the time this really really cool guy called Jack he almost every day or every week he would give me a ton of feedback uh but every single time he'd say okay i do have to re-emphasize this again is that you're the only person that i give this amount of feedback to and this is not because you're doing badly this is because you are somebody that i know i can feedback as in i know you're open to receiving it and you can just take a ton of this and i see you take it and improve and do cool shit with it each time and so it makes me want to give you more and more and more and more but like at the end of like every single time like it would literally be multiple times a week i just constantly be getting feedback from him and he would have to say okay i do need to emphasize this is not because you're doing really badly like if i'm not feedbacking other people around you it's just because i don't really feel that they have given me the space to feedback them in this way and it's just easier to feedback and i know that you would actually enjoy me doing this yeah that's that's uh yeah again receiving feedback that's a whole like other debate and like how do you become open towards that because you can i guess you can bring a horse to water injection. but you can't force it to injection drink. you just put water a famous in, german water saying in an injection in the throat there you go so feedback <laughs> um, <laughs> feeding yeah it. how do you force feed feedback <laughs> <laughs> No, but you're very right because I, I always feel like I'm constantly asking for some because I feel like I need to know, okay, am I on the right track with this? Like, or would you have wanted me to do something else? Like, I'm, I still think I'm, I'm quite young. So if I like, I, I still have a lot of energy and time to correct my ways of thinking, my ways of working in 10 years, I don't think I'll be that flexible anymore. So at this point, I'm like, okay, what do you want? What do you need? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? And I think people are always very overwhelmed when I, confront them like this because i'm always like especially at work i'm okay what tell me what do you want more or less do you want full sentences like what do you want because it's so difficult for me to figure out okay what kind of like how do you want me to be doing work maybe even so in such a slightly obsessive manner that i should just be trusting like my work processes more and trust that if people don't like what i do they will approach me and say okay listen <laughs> this was not good go more in this direction yeah so yeah maybe the other end of the spectrum we should have a 
universal way to communicate this in EYP is like, I want feedback from every single person that is willing to give it to Ooh, me. That's actually a very cool idea. Even like, honestly, like from delegates as well, like if you're a chair or uh, an official, like it's always good to say, hey, there was a situation in which I felt validated, a situation in which I felt could have used more space, whatever. It's actually quite a very good idea. The, the, the thing that comes to my mind with this is that if you if you kind of create a norm where you can fill in something, you can ask something to say, oh, uh, yeah, um, yes, I would like to receive feedback. Um, I would like to receive it from all of my different leaders and all these different people. One person could genuinely actually be ready and be open and want to receive feedback. And then another person can just feel like this is the thing that they're meant to do. And you can't really distinguish between those. I mean, I think that's the responsibility of the person that's asking. Is it not the one that's like if you ask for something like of course you should be mindful of that possibility if you're given you're giving someone feedback but still true but it's if it's such a norm then not following the norm could be seen as negative so for example i specifically asked uh, for rise i asked the president not to write me an evaluation and that was then taken really badly and yeah we've gone gone through in depth in a, in a couple of episodes before and how negative that kind of turned out but because i broke away from that norm that was taken really really negatively and let's say someone's like i don't want to receive feedback maybe it's like a, oh what are you hiding? What are you not ready for? Oh, you're not looking for personal growth. And that could almost be seen or they could have the perception that it would be seen in a negative light. And then maybe that they would even say that they want to receive feedback, even if they don't really. Yeah, I don't know. I think in every day culture, yeah, that's definitely very true. But in EYP, when we talk about feedback, we really emphasize that it's a gift. The other person needs to want to receive it. Like we already have this mindset that it, if I want to give someone feedback and they're not in a way, place where they can receive it, I shouldn't give it. I agree. I I also had, I think, exactly the same situation as you had, Nathan. I think in one specific situation uh, session, I was like, I don't think I want an evaluation, but I would appreciate feedback because I feel like this is not a performance that I would want an evaluation on, but like feedback would be quite interesting to get like other people's input on like how they viewed my work versus how I viewed my work. Ended up completely different, didn't get feedback, but an evaluation that I really didn't like, but I mean, it's life. But I also think that the way of like giving feedback, I don't think that's necessarily taught in practice that much in EYP or because I like, I very, I remember quite a lot that the first two, three years of doing EYP, Everyone would keep saying, oh, yeah, give me feedback, give me feedback. But I was always quite lost. I'm like, what do you want me to say? Like, <laughs> I'm really lost. Like, what does it mean? I think for a long time, I thought it meant something bad. It meant just like, hey, you fucked up. You need to like fix this. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. Also, like things that you think went well and you can like emphasize, okay, this is something I'd like to continue, maybe take for myself as well. So I feel like only quite late in my UIP career if you so will I think I figured out a way okay this is how I want to receive feedback like this is a way and this is also a way of how I can deliver feedback to someone else in a way that's valuable or even useful I guess so I feel like maybe that's the other thing like maybe needs more practice but then again haven't done UIP in so long who knows what has changed maybe people know how to do that now <laughs> maybe that's not the focal point anymore who knows <laughs> The 
That's the first time I've heard the words PhD and chill in the same sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I'll go down that route or whether I'll sell my soul to the government. Who knows? Or to sell your soul to lobbyist groups who pay five times what the government would pay.